Hello ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guest. I have the pleasure of welcoming Larry Ryder to Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Welcome, Larry. Good morning. Larry nice is to be the- here. Larry is the founder of Columbus. Uh, they excel in offering world-class brand management of fine wines and spirits, connecting distinctive producers with great distributors. So, Larry, how did the whole idea of Columbus happen? How did this all get started? Um, actually, I had uh, retired from the industry, and a colleague, uh, a younger gentleman who was I was sort of mentoring through his career in the industry, asked me to take a look at a project with him one day, and it was a very exciting opportunity to represent a craft distillery. Uh, and I looked at him, I said, yeah, you know, I, I like I like the project, I like the image, the package, the quality, the story was all pretty wonderful. I said, but your experience doesn't really set you up securely to, you know, take on this kind of responsibility. And he said, yeah, I know. And he stopped talking and he looked at me. And uh, he kind of hooked me. He said, okay, you know, we'll, uh, I'll tell you what, we'll we'll create an 80-20 partnership. I'll help guide you and help you grow, you know, develop this business. And uh, that'll be that. So that's where the brand management side of things started to come into play? Yes. And so you said you retired from the industry. What was your background before starting Columbus? I I spent about 25 years in wholesale management of wines and spirits. Going back before that, how did you find your way into that whole industry? How did you get your start in, in wine, spirits, and, and, and the wholesaling side of things? Um, I started a culinary career working at various hotels and restaurants around the country when I was younger. And uh, in the early 80s, I had the opportunity to open a fine dining establishment. Uh, and at that time, you know, there really wasn't a a strong American cuisine. Alice Waters from uh, San Francisco was at just Chez Panisse, beginning. right? Yes, it was just beginning that farm-to-table philosophy, and we went from classic French to contemporary American with that movement. And at that time, uh, I thought it was important to support the kitchen with a strong beverage program. Uh, we ended up having oh, probably 18 wines by the glass and over 250 wines by the bottle as early as 1982, and that was 100 miles north of New York City, so uh, kind of unusual for the time. So you had this great experience, and you are introduced to this gentleman. Is that a, is that a company you're still working with today? Um, he left the partnership due to familial obligations, um, but he was around long enough to, you know, 
help us launch together and uh, get it started. And I've continued on ever since. Okay. And that this is one of the brands that you manage today and, and still work no, with? No, that relationship was based primarily on his uh, personal relationship with the owner. And when he left, uh, that brand and I decided to separate. So that, that brings on the next step. This is now something, this is a, a company you've started. This is now a business for you. How do you start to make relationships with other wineries and, and, and distilleries? How does that happen? Um, you know, it, it really varies. We work both uh, d- domestically and internationally. Domestically, it could be as simple as wandering in and starting a conversation with the person behind the uh, tasting bar. Um, internationally, you know, there's a, you know, I don't want to call it a glut of wine, but there is a proliferation of new producers and brands all around the world right. that are looking for access to market. Uh, consolidation on in the industry on the wholesale side has made access to market more challenging for small producers. Bigger companies tend to work with bigger suppliers. And uh, small family estates that we like to focus on are uh, in dire need for help and support in gaining access to distributors around the country. This is exactly one of the reasons why I was uh, I've been excited to speak to you, because I think you bring a side or a story to the industry that really doesn't get told very often uh, about how products get brought to the consumer and through those relationships that you build. Um, is it a sense right now that, you know, that they're seeking you out? And what's what's part of your philosophy when you when you start working with these uh, you know, spirit producers? Uh, there's a couple of uh, early qualifiers. Uh, obviously, one, I have to like the flavor profile of the product and believe in it from a consumer point of view. Uh, we look for products that are uh, naturally produced with a minimal intervention, preferably organic, or at least sustainable in their approach and philosophy, and typically family-owned as opposed to corporately owned, um, because we feel that you know corporate the corporate-run organizations tend to uh, reduce products down to widgets over time. And for us, it's about conveying the story and the passion that families have in their uh, legacy of creating a quality product. So, so when you start to look at the companies you're working with, how do you start to, I guess my, my question is, what's the next step? Are they looking for different things? Like one of the things you do is a you manage their brand, but you also bring their product to market. So, so what are the next steps as you start to grow that relationship? Uh, well, early in the process, uh, we visit the property. We get to we break bread with the people to make sure that we have a shared vision. You know, okay. for for us, that's important. We're lucky enough to be in a position where we can be selective and not feel. Uh, that we have to uh, compromise uh, our ambitions to work with people that are uh, less than generous in their approach to sales. Um, so once we've established that right relationship, we uh, look for a minimum of a five-year engagement. Uh, we have a, an agreement that we look for because in the early days, the investment is of uh, resources and financial commitment on our side is significant. And it takes quite some time to establish a brand in distribution in multiple markets around the country. Um, so our return comes on the backside of that initial five-year plan. And we hope that at the end of the five years, the success that we've brought to them is enough to solidify a continuing relationship. 
So starting in, in, in all this that you're doing, what was that first aha moment for you when you said, I really enjoy doing this. I like the interaction. I like helping people grow their business. What was that moment like for you? Um, you know, I, I spent a large part of my career uh, training and uh, educating uh, sales pe- uh, people. And the gratification that I get from seeing them grow and develop really uh, it kind of exploded when I saw the opportunity that, uh, you know, there are a lot of producers that are perhaps really good growers, great winemakers. They're passionate about what they do. They have a vision. They create a label and a story and identity that's really great. But the sales side of the equation is a totally different business. And many of those people don't grasp the foundation of that side of the business. And when I recognize that we can fill a role and help them uh, as well as help the distributor understand the product that I decided that this is really a a great opportunity for me to share the accumulated uh, knowledge that I've uh, acquired over a couple of decades. I think that's exciting. And and one of the things I hear is you're you're taking a small producer and really providing them a platform and a stage for people to enjoy what they're producing, uh, you know, on on, on a larger scale. And like you said, you're overseas. So where are some of the areas that you're traveling to? Uh, Right now, primarily Spain and France. I hope in the future to expand that to include Italy and Portugal. Um, But we're self-funded and we're growing slowly and cautiously uh there like as i said earlier you know there's a lot of producers out there looking for support and assistance here but it takes uh time and uh, financial resources to establish them so we we walk slowly right now we're on the cusp of uh working with a new producer in the navarra region in spain they produce uh not only an incredible tinto uh tempranillo but a wonderfully aromatic uh, vermouth that we're very excited to be on the cusp of bringing into the market. We're going through the, the compliance issues now with the TTB and handling all of the registration and hope to have that product in the market in the next 60 days. That's that that's exciting because it's almost as if you're going down and you're finding gold. Um, you're, you're, you're finding something that we, we think they're gems <laughs> you know, and, and, and we affectionately re- refer to them that way. Um, and hopefully our passion and engagement is translated through the sales teams around the country that we manage to engage. And that allows uh, the American public to, to find products that aren't um, large scale commercial production that are typically uh, uh, homogenized to have broad-based appeal. You know, we, we, we work with products that are unique and distinctive and therefore aren't going to appeal to everybody, but people who have uh, typically have a, a, an appreciation for, you know, food and wine will gravitate to smaller producers. What's the process look like? You mentioned the TTB and, and, and that situation what's the process look like when you uh you know make you build a relationship with let's say the winery or the distillery and then you're now bringing the product into the united states is is that a year-long process what what's the time frame how does that how's that work um you know we we like to think it could be done in as little as three or four months but it, it never works that way uh there are always impediments to the process um 
you know, paperwork at the port can delay a container getting through clearing customs. Uh, transportation companies lose a container for the, wow. uh, you know, a week. <laughs> um, but, you know, th- that's what we do. And we we take care of all of those aspects uh, that uh, can go wrong and do go wrong to assure uh, getting the product to market. But typically, from the initial conversation to product in our warehouse and us beginning to sample to distributors is typically six to eight months. So you, you've had some some great interactions, some some great experiences with people. What's been the worst moment like that, that, that worst, you know, moment to date for your business, your company? Has there been one for you? Um, I think the first uh, time I had the sense of being rejected in a really obtuse manner. Uh, okay. I had a what I believe to be a signed contract with a producer in Ribeiro de Luero and uh, visited at the property and met the owner, having to this point communicated exclusively with the export director. And I think that uh, the owner and I had a personality conflict. I got back to the United States and submitted my purchase order. And the owner said, no, I'm not going to sell you my wine. Hmm. For me, it was a, a real wake up call to how uh, many things can challenge uh, a relationship and business in general. I get a sense just from the time we met, that doesn't really change anything about your approach. It's just a more of an understanding that, as you said, maybe there's just difference of opinion, different interaction. You're still going to be you because you're doing what you uh, feel that's exciting by bringing somebody's gem to the market. And if they don't see that for at least you helping them, that's OK. Right. Exactly. And, and I think that comes from a lot of your experience in the past where you've been able to train and help people. Rejections all part of it. It's right. sales. You know, it, it, whether you're opening up a restaurant with a large selection, Somebody may not like the selection you're offering, so that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it sounds like a, a whole growing process, and you spend a lot of time traveling. That's a lot of commitment for you to meet with somebody, as you said, break bread, and then have them say, I, you know, at this point, I don't think this is a good right fit for us, and maybe not today, and maybe down the road, maybe it will turn into something. Right. Well, you know, and that traveling is on both sides of the equation because. Just as we uh, want to understand and know the people that we're representing, I want to know and understand the distributor uh, management that we're working with. So although a lot of distributors will say, oh, just send us some samples and we'll let you know, I typically hand deliver the samples and try to sit down with them and understand their approach to the market to see that we're simpatico because uh, not every distributor operates with the same philosophy that we do. Um, if their intent is to, you know, sell at a discount to a chain or a big market, and that's it. That's not really healthy for our producers. So it's important for us to engage on both sides, and that travel on the domestic side becomes a commitment as well. So again, it, it's part of your philosophy. It's got to be a right fit. It's right. got to be that company that's going to work well with you, and you're going to work well with them. So how how often are you traveling? What's your travel schedule look like? I'm probably away from home uh, two weeks out of every month. Uh, it varies. You know, I go through sporadic times of being stable and then hectic times of being away too much. The long-term vision uh, will minimize that a little bit. Uh, I hope to evolve the company into a uh, – employee-owned business with six regional salespeople around the country. 
that will each have responsibility for the distributors in their region. And uh, as they start to populate and come on board as we grow, then uh, my travel will uh, be reduced. And I look forward to that day. That'll that'll be you know, that you're, you're growing your your company your business and and I like the idea that there's that down the road look for you as to what you want it to to to, to look like for yourself. Well, a, a wise man once said to me, every time you start a business, you should have your exit plan in place. Okay. <laughs> so some of the some of the uh, producers, uh, some of the any some of the ones you want to highlight, uh, talk about a little bit. Um, well. Uh, on the import side, we work very closely with Domaine de Papol, who is a producer of both um, vintage, uh, both Armagnac and wine. Uh, the Domaine de Papol, and for instance, I'm holding a bottle of 1972 vintage Armagnac that was aged 42 years in barrel. And from the Armagnac region, uh, the wines, table wines, are called uh, Côte de Gascon, is the region, and this is just arrived, the Syrah Merlot Rosé from the 2018 vintage. And we like working with Frederick Griffard very much. It's a father and son property. They distill about uh, eight 400-liter barrels of spirits each year, which is really micro, mm-hmm. um, and everything is handled by father and son and a team of seven and that's that's the operation and i and i like the organic nature of that um as well as the quality of what's in the bottle um our uh domestic portfolio we represent from california um let's see rued winery uh rued winery is in dry creek although this particular bottle comes from alexander valley they are a uh, family that's been growing grapes in Sonoma County for six generations. I affectionately refer to them as salt of the earth farmers because they are, you know, their primary business is farming and growing grapes. They sell most of their production to other wineries and produce only a small amount of wine. Um, and uh, a gentleman who's who become probably one of my best friends, uh, Tim Slater, owns Sarah's Vineyard. Sarah's Vineyard is down in uh, Gilroy, California, known as the garlic capital of the world. Um, but Tim makes great, great Pinot Noir and Rhone varietals. And uh, he's just a pleasure to work with and really makes it easy for me to get up and do what I do every day. One of the things I enjoy, and I can I can sense this from, from hearing you express the people you're working with is their story. And that that's part of what I love about the the industry. It's it's really what's in the bottle, yes, but there's a lot of story behind it. it right. You're not just, hey, we, we turned on the machine and all this stuff comes out and the bottle ends up on the shelf. There there's a story behind everybody. And yeah. and I and I think that's something that you get to share and, and, and that's part of what you're trying to communicate as well. Right. If I may expound a little on uh, the Rouet family, because I think it is a really charmed story. Uh, the winemakers, uh, Steve and Sonia Rouet, husband and wife team, uh, are supported by Steve's brother, uh, Tom, and father Richard, who run the vineyard crews. And Richard's wife, the matriarch of the family, uh, Dee, runs the tasting room in the business. So this is not a, you know, not just a family owned business. This is a family business. They're all in. They're all, you know, when I go visit at the property, there is one, aside from the vineyard crews, there's one other guy, Nelson, who kind of 
does everything that you know they can't get to but it's that family's face that you get to know and meet and for us it's a pleasure and a joy to uh help bring them out to the consumer i love that you're telling somebody's story yeah we met and you introduced me to a peony vodka which I don't know if anybody in the world is producing a peony vodka. Tell, talk a little bit about that. Okay. Um, this is uh, our most recent acquisition to our portfolio. Uh, we are the national sales agency for Three Meadows Spirits that produces peony vodka. Uh, Leslie Farhangi, the brand owner and developer, owns a beautiful uh, horse farm in uh, a bucolic area of New York State, about 100 miles north of New York City. And uh, to be honest, I had no intention of going into the vodka business. I just, it's commercial, it's competitive. There, there were just a, a whole host of reasons why not. And uh, Leslie insists that I taste the product before I make a decision. And I'm so glad she did. It is a uh, very subtle infused vodka. It's only 70 proof, not 80 as most are. So it's easy to drink. It's soft and it has just a beautiful uh, floral component to it that allows it to be consumed on its own. It mixes really well and it's really persistent in its flavor, flavor profile. And it's really distinctive. And, uh, you know, as we met at a, uh, a, a large event with lots of people tasting it, everybody looks at it and turns around and they're quite amazed at how good it is after they taste it. And uh, it's really just the quality story that finally uh, broke my will and got me to <laughs> sign on and get to, to work and help represent Peony. Do, do you know the back? Do you know the backstory as to how they chose Peony to infuse in and in distill into the vodka? Well, Leslie raises pe uh, peonies as well as some other flowers. So okay. Peony became the dominant, uh, uh, botanical uh, components, but there's geranium and white pepper and vanilla and some other uh, flowers that um, she worked together with a, uh, a, a perfumer to come up with a blend that would have uh, great appeal. And I, I think they just did a spectacular job. This stands out to me is to, again, when you look at the whole craft industry right now, Gin seems to be one of those things that becomes more botanical forward, more spice forward, where somebody took the idea of saying, why don't we try that with a vodka? And yes. now you're introducing flowers and spices. And that, that's a whole new flavor profile, a whole new experience that, that virtually nobody's had a chance to enjoy. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who uh, don't like gin because they don't like juniper. Right. And this, in many ways, is uh, like gin without juniper. Uh, it, it eliminated the segment of the population that would be resistant to its flavor profile. And I would say, you know, more than 90 percent of the people that I've shared it with have all been very enthusiastic about it. Again, that, that's that's one of the wonderful things about what you're doing and, and why I've been so excited to sit down and, and speak with you. You're, you're telling again, you're telling people stories. Um, so we, we've talked a little bit about the process of growing your business. How do people how, how do you introduce the products to the consumer? Do you do tastings or, or do you do larger events like we met? How, how do you, you know, find your way to introduce the products to the consumer? Um, we do multiple avenues into the market. We do 
uh, consumer uh, tasting events for charities. We work with our distributor teams and go out in the field and work with the sales reps to sell into stores and restaurants. We go back into those same stores and restaurants and do staff trainings so that their staffs understand the product and know how to present it to the consumer. Um, and then I just invite as many friends and family over to my house as I can. Okay. When, when's that next event? <laughs> You're welcome anytime. Thanks. So do you have any events coming up that you want to highlight? Let people know some of you said some of the larger events or charity events that you want to highlight. Um, we're uh, participating in the Taste of Northport, I think it's called, in okay. uh, about two weeks. Uh, that's a Chamber of Commerce-oriented uh, event here on Long Island. Uh, there are a number of tasting events on our calendar in uh, Connecticut that are coming up. They can all be seen at our website, which is www.columbuswineandspirits.com. No ampersand. It's all spelled out. Um and we're constantly, you know, adding and changing that calendar. There's always something new coming up. Well, I think for people looking for unique products, you certainly some somebody to, to go to the website to look out for those uh, events would be would be really helpful and exciting. So, Larry, what do you like to drink when when you're enjoying a, a glass of wine, cocktail, beverage? What is it you enjoy? What do you like to drink? You no, know, I, I usually answer that by saying it's the glass that's in front of me at the moment. <laughs> so I'm enjoying the company and the moment. For me, it's experiential. You know, I'd like to say it was that 1964 Chateau Aubryon that I drank was the best one. But it's not just what that bottle is that we're having. It's the company we're having it with. It's the food that we're enjoying with it that all add to the experience that make the moment special and memorable. Um, so I'm, I'm fickle. You know, uh, last night I had a, a glass of rosé with dinner. Tonight I'll probably have a glass of uh Verdejo from Bodegas Mothien. Um, and they're, you know, it's like any parent says, they're all my children. I love right. them all equally. <laughs> and, and it looks like you're having more children down the road, too. So your family is growing. Is there anything that we haven't talked about in the time we've shared that you want to add? Uh, any, uh, you know, just experiences, anything things that come to top of anything comes to top of mind? Um, you know, I would just say that for uh, the, the audience, that as much as it's a very romantic and fun and wonderful uh, pursuit, it isn't all always a bed of roses. Uh, the frustrations that, you know, come into play due to logistical problems or licensing issues or personnel issues really, you know, define the business more than the products that we represent. And knowing how to steward those trials and tribulations is probably the greatest challenge of building a, an organization like this. And from what I'm hearing, you've learned, you've gotten your experience, and you have a way of smoothing out those challenges. You no, know, I seem to, uh, you know, I have my moments of frustration, but I seem <laughs> we to all be, do. <laughs> have, have uh, matured like a fine bottle of Bordeaux over time and understand how to come out the other side and, you know, smell like roses. Uh, good. Or peonies. Or peonies. <laughs> Larry, I am grateful for your time this morning and, and a chance to have you come on the podcast. Uh, again, it's a unique uh, opportunity for listeners to hear a different side of the industry and, and understand really what it takes to get from the the farm or the distillery or the winery onto the bottle. And, and I really appreciate your time today. 
Well, I thank you and I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and your listeners. Thanks, Larry. We'll talk again. I'm looking forward to continuing the relationship. Terrific. Thank you. Thank you once again for listening to Fermented Adventure, the podcast. We hope that you have enjoyed this episode and having the opportunity to meet Larry Ryder of Columbus. Reach out to Larry if you have any questions or tell him what you thought about his appearance on the podcast. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to be notified when a new episode has been added. Life is a fermented adventure. Cheers.